0: important decision of my life was made when i was 15 years old and i was up at forest home a couple of weeks ago you've probably seen videos and pictures of it and i wanted to share with my boys the story of the most important decision of my life but how many of you know when you're really excited to do something and uh, our boys are 11 and eight, and your children aren't equally as excited as you might be, um, it can sometimes maybe not be the most pleasant experience. And so even though this was really cool, I wanted to go back to the spot where I made this decision. I told my husband, I said, hey, let's not make it necessary for them. Like, it's fine. Like, I don't want to ruin. There's so many wonderful things to do at Forest Home. And I was going to go during our free time. I'm sure they would rather be at the lake or at the pool or in the craft cabin or pretty much anywhere else than other than this like lone part of the campground. He said, no, no, we're going to take them with us. So we walked, um, we were going down this, you kind of had to like, it was one of the warmer days. So you'd like walk to this hill and then we had to walk all the way up this hill. So we stopped a couple of times and they played and they checked out other parts of the campground. And we came to this auditorium. It was at the top of the hill. Here's a picture of me with our two boys. And it began to tell them the story of when I was 15 years old, sitting in about this place. This campground, is a uh, it still is a camp for second and third graders. It's part of the Forest Home camp facilities. And at the time, it was called Indian Village, and we slept in teepees. Those are gone. They've renamed it now. But I was the counselor at 15 years old. I got to go for free because I was a counselor. It was the first time I had gone to a Christian camp And it was at this camp, they talked about God, we talked about all kinds of things learning, and it was Wednesday night of the week of camp And it was that night that the speaker shared the story of Jesus and talked about what God did on what Jesus did on the cross and how God wanted to save us and wanted us to welcome him into our hearts so that he could transform us. And as the speaker told us to close our eyes and bow our heads and pray, I knew in that moment God was speaking right to me. I heard as he shared, Jesus is standing at the door knocking and my heart was pounding because I knew, I didn't know how, but I knew that that speaker was speaking right to me. And so that night was the most important decision I made, which was saying yes to Jesus. I accepted Christ into my life that night. Now they said, they gave instructions afterward. They said, okay, all the counselors, take all of the kids in your cabin and circle up and let the kids share who accepted Christ. And so we circle up and I am bawling and I'm like, I accepted Christ! And the second and third graders were like, we're so proud of you! Laughter You see, powerful things happen when we start that step and we take that step of faith. And I began to share with my boys why this was so important of a decision. You see, I was a sophomore. And when you're a sophomore in high school, you start thinking about where you're going to college. And so I made a decision then, well, I'm going to be an all-in Christian. I got back. I started a reading plan. I'm like, what do Christians do? They go to Christian college. That's not all Christians, but that's what I believed. I was like, well, I'm going to go to a Christian college. You can still be a Christian and not at a Christian college. But that's what I decided to do, was I'm going to go to a university that is surrounded by Christians where I'm in chapel. I'm like, I am all in. I'm going to be at all the youth group. I'm going to serve. I'm going to just be all in my faith. And because I went to that Christian university, I met a professor who attended, whose son was on staff at a church nearby, and that's where I got my first ministry position right out of height, right out of college, was at this church. And it was at this church that I fell in love with the pastor's son and got married to the pastor's son. They're here. The pastor's here and the son. <laughs> And, for, and then it was at that church that we dedicated these boys both to the Lord when they were babies. And so I told them, I said, it was because of this moment in my life, this pivotal moment for this 15-year-old that decided she was going to be all in with God. And from there, you know, I felt called to ministry and God, the rest was history. And as I'm sharing this, we're walking down and my youngest, he's so sweet. He turns to me and he's like, mom, I am so glad we came. (laughs) And it made me so happy. And now my prayer is that they would each have profound moments with God that they would make individual decisions to follow after him. Because our kids' faith can't just be dependent on ours. It has to be their own faith and their own decision. But powerful things happen when we're in relationship with God. And God directs our paths. Before we jump into our main story today, I just wanted to read a verse out of the book of Acts I'm gonna have it up on the screen, so if you wanna turn to it, you can. It's Acts chapter two. I have another picture. This is the stage. We didn't have that cool little set when I was there, but I thought it was cool. Um, And in this, this is Peter. Peter is, uh, he is quoting from the book of Joel. And essentially, what has just happened in the book of Acts is all of the disciples, they saw Jesus came back after he'd been resurrected, the Holy Spirit moved, and there was men and women and children, and everyone was involved, and all of these people were coming to know about Jesus as Savior and Lord and the Messiah. And it was this powerful move of the Spirit. And so Peter, who's trying to describe what's happening, he quotes the Old Testament author Joel. And he says, this is kind of a picture of what it's like when God is moving, when the Holy Spirit is moving. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. This is the picture of all God's church, young and old, male, female, working together, accomplishing and reaching and connecting people with God. That is the picture of when God is at work and the spirit of God is moving. And you know, sometimes I wish... That Jesus had come back and the story had concluded in the book of Acts. Like I wish that was the end of the story, right? Jesus had just come back. We'd all be in heaven. We wouldn't have to go through anything we've gone through. We would just be celebrating in heaven. But that's not how it happened. We've been waiting 2,000 years for Jesus to come back. And yet there is still an urgency that we must live with today. Why am I still here? Why are we still here? Why hasn't Jesus redeemed everything and brought us all up and created the new heaven and the new earth? Why am I still here? What does God want me to do? So the important thing that we must answer each of us with the time that we have left on earth is what does God want me to do with my life? What does God want you to do with your life? Some of you may have your four-point plan of how the next 40 years of your life are going to go. Some of you, we all have different. But this is an important question because how you live your life is very important. What's your mission? And we all have different purposes. We all have different gifts and abilities and calling. So this question is unique to each of you. We're going to be in the book of Judges for the remainder of our time. And what we see in the book of Judges... This is after Egypt and Moses getting the people out of the desert. This is now Joshua had gotten people into the promised land. And then just before Judges, Joshua dies. And now God's people are in the promised land. But they get a little comfortable in the promised land. And they keep messing up. So the story that we see, the pattern in the book of Judges, is essentially this. Everything's going good. God's people fall away. Then a judge is raised up to speak on behalf of God and, co- and to convict God's people to follow after him. And then God rescues them from their own pain and destruction, and then they follow after God. So that's the pattern we see over and over in the book of Judges. So we're going to be in Judges chapter four. Uh, this is the book uh, about Deborah. She is one of the judges. She is the third judge, and not every judge was a good judge, unfor- unfortunately. But essentially, this is is the story. And starting in verse 1. Again, because remember, they did bad. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. That was the previous uh, judge. It was Ehud. He had just passed. So what was the consequence of them doing eyes? Verse 2. The Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan. That was a not an Israelite person. That was another leader at that time, a, the king of, Can- of the Canaanites. And so because of that, Sisera, this is uh, the end of ver- middle of verse 2. Sisera, he was the military commander of the army. Down in verse 3, he had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. 20 years of cruel oppression And then they cried to the Lord for help. Now sometimes I wonder, (laughs) why did they wait 20 years to ask God for help? (laughs) I would have thought like maybe year two, they might have said, okay, God, can you help us? But it was 20 years. How many of us in our pain, like we're going through something hard? And I'm like, we wait way too long to ask God to help us. We're like, I could have asked God, I could have asked God for help two years ago, but I waited. I decided to suffer just a little bit longer, right? So Deborah is raised up as a prophet. And she speaks on behalf of the Lord. You see, over and over in the Bible, we see God's people mess up. We mess up. But usually what causes them to mess up is they stop following God. They stop obeying God. So the most important thing we have to do in our lives is live a life in relationship with God. Everything in your life hinges on your daily decision to live in obedience and relationship with God or to live in your own path and what you want. It's the most important decision you make is to live that life in relationship with him. It's a life of submission to his plan, faith in him. And we can't find purpose apart from walking with God. Your purpose is not your own inner purpose. Your purpose is a God-designed and orchestrated purpose. You were designed to live in relationship and obedience with God. You were designed that way. Here at New Break, our mission statement as a church, as a leadership team, is, begins with this. Our mission as the leaders of New Break is to connect people with God. Now the mission statement goes on and how we do that. But the reason we exist is so that people can know God and be in relationship with him. I loved hearing what Pastor Brian and Sammy and our kids team here is doing where they invited the San Diego Rescue Mission to send kids to come to our VBS. Our VBS and the things we do here are not just for Christians to huddle together. Our job here is to invite people who have never heard of Jesus, have never heard of God, have wondered what is in here and if it means anything into their life, and to bring them into a relationship with him. And we do it through through worship, we do it through the word, through life groups, but God wants to use you too. He, you will impact way more people through your relationships than I will ever get the opportunity to do just speaking from the stage. Now, we work together. My prayer is that you will be getting to know someone in in your workplace and they see you and they kind of like you and they're like, well, you're a Christian. I didn't know Christians could be nice like you are. And then you invite them to church like, well, if they go to that church, I trust them. So maybe I will trust the place they go to church. And then they get to come and hear the message. And maybe you're here today because someone invited you and I'm so glad. I pray nothing has felt weird and I promise you nothing else will be weird the rest of the service. (laughs) But the whole point of what we do is to connect people with God. We have this year at our three campuses, Tirasana, Scripps Ranch, and Ocean Beach, we have had 223 people since January 1 make a decision like I made saying, I want to follow Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? But humans are messy, aren't we? I wish I could tell you when I was 15 and I made that decision, my life was sin-free, I was perfect, I never made a mistake, I never questioned. No, not we're messy. We make mistakes and we, make, we mess up, and that's what we see in the Bible. And that's why God brought the judges, because God's people kept messing up, and so God would raise up the judges in the Bible, the judges, to correct God's people, to bring direction and correction. Now, modern day, that would be like your life group leader or the pastors here. Their job is to help share God's word, share and speak on behalf of God so that we can continue to say yes and live in obedience with him. So let's look at what happened, um, who God raised up. Now, Deborah, a prophet, the wife of, I'm not going to say his name because I will butcher it, was leading Israel at that time. She was leading it. I I like Deborah. Um, she was the only female judge of the whole book of Judges. She is not the only female prophet, but she was also a prophet. And in the next chapter, Judges, in Judges chapter 5, it describes her as the mother of Israel. I like Deborah because she was following after what God had. God had raised her up to be a voice for God to his people, to bring the direction in their lives. She was a prophet, a judge, and we'll find later she was a warrior. You see, we're not that different from the Old Testament. We mess up just like them, and we need people in our lives. We do well, we mess up, we ask God for help. Now sometimes, this might be a little painful, sometimes the stuff that happens in our lives, the mess, is a result of our own sin. Let me give an example. Um, I am a wife and as a wife, I can choose to be the, live out the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. But I can also choose as a wife in a relationship to be selfish, to be resentful, to be uncaring, unkind, to count my list of wrongs and think of all the reasons why I, the wife, am right and my spouse is wrong. Anyone? No, don't raise your hand. We all know. (laughs) If things are going well in my marriage, it's because of God living through me. If things are going poorly in my marriage, it's because of the sin that I am not willing to deal with. My own sin of resentment or whatever, So things can go poorly in our lives, both through circumstances that are not our own, but also things can go poorly because we are not dealing with our sin issues, our individual problems. I know I can be a better mom if I am more patient with my kids, not less patient. I know I can be a better friend if I'm more caring and more thoughtful, not the opposite, not caring and not thoughtful. So that can be our own sin. Jesus gave us a picture of what relationship with him looks like. This is what it looks like. You want to know how to live in relationship with God? Well, Jesus said it. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. If you're trying to save your own life, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So you want to know how to live in relationship with Jesus? Say, okay, God, not my way, your way. Not my job, your job. Not my wants, but your wants. You have to consistently daily, daily shed. That actually says that, daily. We have to do it daily. Every morning I have to wake up and say, Not what I need today, Lord, but what you want. What do others need? Not what I want from my job, but how do you want to use me in my job today? You have to ask daily to live in that relationship with him. God, not my future, but your future. And Jesus modeled this for us on the cross. Dying on the cross was not Jesus' will. When we got to see him pray in the garden, he said, God, take this from me. This is not what I want, But then Jesus models for us. That's why he used about the cross. Not my will, but your will be done. Is that your prayer? God, not not my retirement plan, your retirement plan. God, not my. Wish list for a future mate, your wish list, your perfect plan. Lord, not my plan for my kid's life, your plan for my kid's life. Lord, I submit to you daily. You see, but there's also times. That God, things happen in our life and a situation arises, maybe an opportunity, maybe a difficulty. But we have to, in those moments, say yes to God's divine appointments with faith. My prayer today is that the Holy Spirit is speaking something to you today. Or has been speaking something to you today. And today is going to be the day that he confirms what he's speaking to you is what he wants you to do. Because we have to say yes to God's divine appointments with faith. So back to our story in Judges 4. I'm going to be picking up in verse 6. Deborah, she's the prophet and the judge. And we know she's got power because she sends for Barak. And she says, Barak, I want you to come and I have a word from the Lord for you. So he comes. Barak comes and he sends for her or she sends for him and he comes. And this is the word that Deborah has from the Lord for Barak uh, in verse, it's the end of verse 6. It says, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you, go take with you 10,000 men. Verse 7 God says, I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River. And what will God do? I will give him into your hands. Deborah spoke prophetically I am going to give you this military victory. I am going to make it happen. You will conquer. You will succeed. And let's see Barak's faith filled response. What does he say in verse 8? Uh, if you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. (laughs) That was so faith-filled, such courage, such optimism. No, it was not common for a judge or a prophet to be on the battlefield. So this was really, really unusual. And I, all this tells me is that Barak lacked faith, Maybe he lacked faith in God or he lacked faith that maybe he didn't have a great relationship with God and he didn't know if God would really use him. But he lacked faith. Deborah said it was going to happen. Deborah didn't say, I'm going with you. He said, you will go and you will lead the army. And so let's see the consequence of this. Let's see Deborah's response. She says, certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of your course, you are taking the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a dun dun dun, a woman. <laughs> a woman was going to get the military victory. This was very unconventional. Barak lacking faith, even though Deborah was a prophet of the Lord, Deborah being willing to go to the battlefield. This was so unconventional. And this Bible story is one of many stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament where we see God use unconventional people in miraculous ways. Deborah, a female, was the only female judge. And yet God used her. Because it's not about men or women getting the credit. It's about God getting the credit. And so we use this and many other verses uh, New Break, if you don't know, has a theological, a biblically based theological position that women can be pastors and leaders and preachers, and because of that, this story is super important to share because Deborah is one of the examples in an Old Testament, in a culture. This was this happened in a culture where women were barely less less than property. They were basically property. They didn't lead. They didn't have ownership of anything in their life outside of their husbands. And yet, look at God using this woman. Look at this powerful way. And she says, faith to say yes. I remember when Pastor Robert, about three years ago, he invited me to come to New Break to be the executive pastor. And even though I knew New Break had a theological position that women could be pastors and preachers, sometimes places, in my experience, can have a theological position of that, but it doesn't mean it plays out practically. They may say, theologically, we believe a woman can be a pastor, but they don't have any women pastors on their staff. Or theologically, they believe women can preach, but they don't have any women preachers in their pulpit. And... If you are if you are a female you know what it can be like to be in a work environment where that's mostly men and they're, you're not really welcome. And so I, wasn't sh- I didn't know what it would be like to come to New Break. And I've been so thankful to God that God brought me here because my gender has never been an issue. We've been able to lead together side by side, serving in ministry, and I have never once felt from anyone, including attenders, that I couldn't be a pastor. And I'm so thankful for New Break, our leadership. We have women on the board. We have women on pastors. We have women in our serving in our ministry teams. I thank God for that for New Break. But I know that's not the case for every woman. And if you are a female and you're in a work situation that you feel the same things that I have maybe felt in other places, I would love to pray with you and encourage you because it can be really discouraging to feel like the the fact that you decided to be a mother is held against you but not against your male peers, that their fathers but suddenly you're being treated less than because you had to go on maternity leave. Or the promotion's not even offered to you because they just assume you're going to be so busy with your kid's little league that you don't have time to give more to the job. Or you're not invited to the lunches because you're the female, you're the odd female out. I would love to pray with you because that's a common, common struggle. You see, I don't want people to look at me and I certainly don't want my platform to be woman power I want people to look at me and say, that's a godly leader. I don't do it to be like a woman leader. I do it because I know it's what God's called me to do. And I'm saying yes to the divine appointments God has for me. And I believe God brought me to New Break as a divine appointment to lead alongside these amazing men of God and other women of God at this church. And I'm so thankful because the reality is that we each have different perspectives. Pastor Marcus has a different perspective than I have. And we are serving God best when we serve together side by side. In the book of Romans, it says, and we know that for those who love God, and I believe all the leadership here loves God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So I don't know what it is in your life that makes you feel like you couldn't do something. But remember that prophecy I said in the beginning? Young, old, men, women, children. God wants to use us all. He's calling all of us. God uses everything in your life. The times that you were following him well and the times you messed up your life situation, your, how you were raised. God will use it all for his good if you'll let him. You have to be willing to let him use it for his good. He uses everything in our life. So what are the I'm nots in your life? I'm not old enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not white enough? I'm not male enough. I'm not, what are the things in your life? I'm not educated enough. I'm not experienced enough. What are the things that are keeping you back from saying yes to what God has for you? God wants you to shed those things and say, I have faith that if you've called me to do it, you're going la- to help me accomplish it. So we're going to jump back in our story in this battle because when God calls us, it doesn't matter if there's a, a If it's going to be hard, the impossible is impossible with God. And this battle was impossible. It said in one of the verses that God told him to get how many men? Does anyone remember? How many men? 10,000. Good. You guys are good listeners. 10,000 men. Earlier, I didn't read this, but how many chariots did Sisera have? Does anyone want to look it up real quick? He had 900 chariots with iron. That That was a crazy army crazy amount of military and Israel at this time in history they didn't really have like military they were not really organized so when he said 10,000 men basically what we picture is that he just went to a couple of the towns and he recruited civilians he's like all right you civilians we're gonna go battle those 900 chariots (laughs) It was a pretty daunting and it wasn't just the chariots, right? Sisera brought the other people. They were a way more skilled military power than the Israelites. So they really needed to have faith that God was going to bring them through. And so they go to the battle. They go, Barak pursued the chariots and all of Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. However, remember what Deborah said, what would happen? Sisera fled on foot to the tent of Jael. He escaped. Now, I won't critique God, but I wish that Deborah had gotten the military victory. Like, I would have loved to see her, like, Zena the warrior princess with the sword, like, cut his head off, and like, that's how he died. That's not what happened. It's something very interesting happens in our verse, I'm gonna pull it up, it's gonna be, uh, we're in Judges now, 4.17, and we get to this interesting part of the story where Sisera escapes, and Sisera goes over to what he thinks is um, an ally, the allies' tent encampment. He thought, well, they, the army won't go over there, so I'm going to go over to my allies. This is just off the battlefield, and I'm going to hide there, and as you see, we get to meet JL. Jael. She is the wife of the ally, the ally leader. And I, we, don't, we have to come to some understanding by reading this text that they knew each other, they, either through relationship or somehow they must have known each other. So when Sisera comes to the tent site, she says, come, my Lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So she's trying to disarm him. You're okay. You're going to be fine. And he entered and she covered him. She gave him water. She probably fed him. And he was so comfortable, he actually went to sleep. And he said, hey, if anyone comes, don't tell anyone I'm here. So she knew he was hiding out. And so J.L., God uses J.L., You see, they were in these tents, and the women at the time during the battle, the men would be on the field doing the battle, except for Deborah, and the women would be at the campsites, and they would have had these giant tents that they had to set up. They were mostly nomadic, and so they would do, uh, take these pent tags, pent, tent tent pegs, thank you. (laughs) I'm like, that's not going to come out right. (laughs) Oh, monkey brain, Sorry. Take the tent pegs and they, hammered, they would hammer the tent pegs down. And that, while Sisera was sleeping, J.L. killed Sisera. This woman, the prophecy came through. So we don't really know why J.L. killed. Like it doesn't, It does. we don't hear her side of the story of why. But she does share that she just knew that that's what she was supposed to do. It's just this idea, like she... I, she just, she basically, they show up and she said, I killed him already. Like they, show, like he's, he's now dead. I took care of it. So we never find out why, why did she do it? Maybe she heard about Deborah's prophecy and she's like, well, he's supposed to die. Maybe she knew him and she didn't like him. We really don't know. But amazing how in this twisted, twist of a story where he thought he was safe, his defenses were down, God still found a way to accomplish his will and the prophecy. Crazy. You see, our stories are sometimes messy. And I wish, this is one of the questions I have for God. Like, I wish we didn't have to have death and war. And that's one of the things. But I know that God uses it for a purification process. And I think about our lives. We go through awful things. And God can use it to draw us closer to him to purify us, to strengthen us in our faith, in our, in our relationship with him. And so Judges 5, it's called the Song of Deborah. It might have been called the Song of Barak, had Barak had faith, but instead it's the Song of Deborah. And it's basically a retelling of the story, if you want to read. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I want to pull out the last verse of this, kind of this poem. Judges 5, 31. It says, may, So may all your enemies perish, Lord. Lord, may everyone who doesn't follow after you perish. But may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Not every day is a sunny, beautiful day in the life. Even those who are faithful and committed to God. Sometimes we go through dark, dark things. You got to, if you were here last week, you got to hear Pastor Robert share about the, the, what they've walked through. And if you missed it, I encourage you to go watch it online. It was a powerful, powerful story. And I think about what they've come through, and the prayer is that they're like the sun rising in strength, a new day, a new start. But this is how the chapter ends. Then the land had peace for 40 years. Oh, Lord, I like the days when I have peace in my life and in my family, and everything's going right. And we pray that it lasts as long as possible until the next thing. But we know something's going to happen. But pattern in our life is this. We say yes to God and we follow after him. We try to daily give up what we want and we follow after God. We say yes to his appointments. We say yes with faith. We follow after him. We keep taking steps. And then the whole point of this then the next step is so that we can be a reflection of God's affection. I don't want my life and my purpose to just be about me or my happiness, I want it to be, how can God use me to impact others? I want to be used by God to impact others. We're part of a, when we got here, we got really connected with a couple that attends the Scripps campus with us, Scott and Carrie, and we really connected. She's an executive coach and international speaker. He works for ServiceNow, and they're, Pretty different. She loves being up in front of people. He's one of those people um, that does not want to be the center of attention. He doesn't like to speak in front of people. And so we're in life group together. And so he rarely talks. He will when he has something that he really wants to say or a prayer request, but he's way more reserved. And so we've had fun getting to know them. They have a boy about in between my two boys' age. And he had been going through some health stuff. He had been going back and forth to the doctor and trying to figure out what was going on. He was having symptoms. And he got the call that is, no one wants to get. We probably all know someone who's gotten this call, that he had cancer. And that was about a year ago. And I remember how hard it was for him to even share that with us. There was very few people who knew, and it was just a small group of us. And so I, I felt prompted. I said, I want to pray for you this weekend. We go to the Scripps campus. I said, we want to pray for you. We want to anoint you with oil and just, you know, whoever knows, let them know we're going to pray for you. And so we did. And I remember driving in that morning as we were going to pray for him with this diagnosis. You know, we didn't, we didn't know how bad it was. He didn't know how bad it was. It was that point where you've gotten the diagnosis and Google has filled in the rest. Uh, Until you don't know treatment, you don't know options, you don't know all of the other stuff. You just know the diagnosis and you're like, I don't know how bad this is going to get. And being someone I've shared at this campus before, my health struggles, I knew how hard getting that, that feeling of not knowing is. Your mortality, life expectancy, all of those things start rushing in. And so I felt that God gave me a very specific word for him that morning. As we prayed over him, I said, God is going to grow you deeper in your life now than ever before. I knew with faith that God was going to stretch him and grow him through this really, really difficult time. And I wish I could say it was all easy after that, but it wasn't. They struggled with, you know, chemo has its effects he got some of the neuropathy. He would be out for weeks at a time from our, he'd have to miss life group. I remember praying for their son that he was nervous about treatment and he was nervous about his dad. And you know, it's, it's an awful road battling cancer. It's an awful, awful road. And so we would support the family. Our whole life group supported the family. And only God, I, I love this part In our life group, one of the members of our life group, um, she is a chemo nurse and she was scheduled the same day and same time to her job where his first chemo treatment was. I'm like, how cool. Only God could orchestrate that. That this life group, we had been journeying together and they were there on the same day. And so she was able to pray over him and be with them as a work. She's like, I want to be assigned to him. So she got assigned to him. It's awesome. God, only God. And I remember, it was probably about seven months into it, he got a really positive scan. The scan said, it was not biopsy, so it wasn't official yet, but the scan said no sign of cancer. And he was, it was like, he was tentatively, hesitantly ex- excited, but he shared with us, he was excited, but then he had this weird kind of posture. We're like, what's going on? He's like, well, this is the problem. I feel like God wants me to do something with my story and I don't know that I want to do that. <sighs> he knew that God was healing him. He knew that God had given him a story to share but he did not want to get up in front of people. He did not want to talk about the faith that he had and so about two months later He got the final prognosis. He got the final biopsy that he was clear of cancer. And his family, we had a big party. They were celebrating. And it was awesome to just... Celebrate with them at the party. He got up and said, I don't ever do this, but thank you, all of you. And just started, he's just been willing to say yes to God. And this week, he's actually traveling with his family and his wife in Thailand. She is teaching, and he is going to share some of his story to a group of people. And I just think, God, had you not brought him through this, maybe he would have never ever shared his own story with others but look at this darkness you've walked him through that now he has faith that you've healed him of cancer god you can do anything you can take someone who has a fear of public speaking and use them to share about what god's done in their life how amazing so i'm asking you what is god asking you to say yes to If there's something you've been thinking about today, I know that's what it is that God's asking you. I'm here, I'm confirming right now. That thing that the Holy Spirit has placed on your mind as I've been talking about saying yes, that's what God's telling you to say yes to. He's confirming it right now that he wants you to say yes and step through that. But it all starts with that relationship with God. So I'm going to pray for you that now, in this moment, if you have not taken that step of saying yes to God, I want to pray with you right now that you would say yes. Maybe you said yes, but it's been years. Or maybe you've gotten comfortable and you've not, you're have not you not all in. You're not all in. And you're, you don't even know what God wants you to say yes to. And you're like, God... I want to be all in. So you can close your eyes and put your heads down so no one one has to feel embarrassed. But if God is speaking to you right now to say yes for the first time or to say, yes, God, I'm rededicating. I am all in. Just raise your hand where you're at right now. All in. One, yes, I see. Two, three, awesome. God God sees your hand. Five, six, seven, eight, awesome, nine, 10, 11, God is, 12, 13, God, it sees you all in. You are all in. You can put your hands down. 12, all in. God's gonna transform your life and keep saying, I am all in. All day, every day, I am all in, God. Show me your word. Guide me. Instruct me through my life group. Give me people in my life that are pointing me towards you and directing me towards you some of you, there's a ministry he wants you to start, a neighbor he wants you to reach, a workplace he wants you to transform with the love of Jesus. God is asking you to say yes, to be willing to be used by him. Are you willing? If God were to ask you, would you say yes to being used by him? Lord, I thank you for each one of these people, these 12 people this service that said yes to a life following you we are all in Lord and I pray as they heard the gospel story today of what you did on the cross and how you want to raise them to do his will raise them up that they would follow after you all the days of their life and Lord the times they fall down we know that there are people in this church that want to help them get up and continue to follow after you Lord, there are people all over this room that you've been speaking to through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you're birthing something in them. And they've been thinking about it for a while, but I pray that today would be the day that they would take that step. They would sign up for that class. They would say yes to that friend. They would say yes to serving in that ministry. They would say yes to getting baptized. They would say yes to whatever it is that you have called for them, Lord. I pray that they would take that step. In Jesus' name we pray.